0: Good morning. Great to be here again together, and uh, I'm excited about this uh, Exodus series that we're we're working through at the moment. Uh, are you enjoying it? Yeah, yeah. yeah good. Um, it's uh, it's a challenging series in many ways because uh, the Old Testament is very different from the New Testament in the Bible. Uh, and uh, we have to sort of adjust our thinking a little bit as to how things happen and, and um, some of the things that go on. Um, and we struggle with that a bit. I think we all do, probably. And we'll no doubt struggle about some of the things that are happening in the bit that we're looking at today. Um, so I'm going to uh, kick off with a bit of a recap, but we will be looking at Exodus 7 7 to 1029. So uh, those of you who've got Bibles or phones or tablets or whatever that got Bibles on, um, that's that's where we're going today. Um, as a, a bit of a recap, obviously we've been following through Exodus and... I'm not quite sure. This is a bit scratchy. I'm not quite sure what's happening. Yeah. Um, is that better? Hopefully. Um, We've been following through the story of Moses, really, and, and what's happening uh, at the beginning of Exodus. So, I'll just run through very quickly. Moses was born into a Hebrew family, escaped death as a baby, brought up in Pharaoh's palace, defended a fellow Hebrew, and in so doing, killed an Egyptian. And because he, uh, he was likely to be killed for that, and Pharaoh was after him, he, uh, he fled to Midian to escape death um, Hopefully that's a bit better. Sorry, a bit scratchy. There we go. Try that. Um, So he'd fled to Midian uh, to escape death. He was invited to stay with a Midianite priest, obviously uh, following other sort of religion, um, but uh, worked for him as a shepherd for about 40 years or so. He married his daughter, Zipporah, and they had a son called Gershom. They met with, or he met with God in a powerful way at the burning bush, where God revealed to him his name, I Am. And uh, he told Moses to go back to Egypt to save his people and bring them out of slavery into the promised land. So Moses then went back to Egypt and revealed God's plan that God had given him to the elders of Israel. And that's where we got to. So Moses back in Egypt, he's talked to the elders of Israel and he's now going to talk to Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron, brothers, Aaron's slightly older than Moses and they're working together here because Moses was a bit scared about going and talking because he felt, I'm not very eloquent in my speech, I don't speak well so I want someone to speak for me and God got a bit angry at him at that point. And we might understand why in a, in a few minutes. But um, So he said, well, look, Aaron's coming to see you and you can use him to speak for you. So we're joining just where um, Moses and Aaron are about to uh, confront Pharaoh. There's four main conflicts in this passage. Uh, and actually, these are conflicts which are common right throughout the Bible. So Yahweh, who is God Almighty, uh, versus Pharaoh and the false gods. So this goes, runs right through the scriptures, actually. Uh, God is the only God, and he is mighty, but people worship other gods. And then Israel versus Egypt. So you've got the people of God, Israel, and the Egyptians, And there's a a conflict there. There's obedience versus sin. Obedience versus rebellion to God. And the fourth one, mercy versus judgment. God is obviously merciful, but he's also the just judge. That's part of his character. So these things will become evident as we look at the passage. But let's look a little bit more detail in them. So, Yahweh and Pharaoh. The lordship of Yahweh is key here. And that's what he's explained to Moses when he met him at the burning bush. He said, I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he said, I am. In other words, I'm here right now. I've always been. I always will be. I am. He is the source of all things. And he is the creator God, and he's the sustainer God, and he is the only God. But Pharaoh is hard-hearted, and he needs to, to bow his knee to God. What about Israel versus Egypt? Israel are the people of God, chosen to serve and worship him. God chose them as a people, to be His representatives on earth, if you like, and through those pe- that people, God would bless the whole earth, and we are recipients of that blessing now, because Jesus, born into the israel uh, the nation of Israel, brought up in Israel, and under- obviously in, in that whole uh, understanding of who God was and, and so forth. And now we are the recipients of that blessing because that has been passed on not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And we're all Gentiles, in other words, Gentiles, non-Jews. And then there's Egypt, a worldly nation, worshipping demons and man-made objects. They sin against God and persecute his people. So when Joseph initially took all the, 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 the people of Israel into Egypt because there was a drought in the land uh, where they were living. Egypt welcomed them and uh, they settled there, but now we've moved on 400 years. And there's a Pharaoh in charge who didn't know Joseph, didn't understand the, the history of, of things in there, and has been persecuting the Jews and using them as slaves and viciously using them as slaves. And then we've got obedience and sin. So, Moses and Aaron were obedient to what the Lord commanded them. Now, they weren't perfect, and we'll see that. But when God charged them to do these things, they were obedient to what God commanded them. But Pharaoh and the Egyptians held out against God and his people. And then finally, we've got mercy versus judgment. So God spared the Israelites in the land of Goshen, where they were living in a part of Egypt, and he rescued them from Egypt. And that's not part of today's story, but it's part of the ongoing picture that, that will uh, be rolled out in the coming weeks and months. Um, but Pharaoh, uh, God judged Pharaoh and the Egyptians justly because they had rebelled against God and they'd sinned. And he brought on them 10 dreadful, really awful plagues. And we're going to be looking at, nine of those today Uh, the next one will store up for the next edition (laughs) Um, and they were awful plagues but God does mete out judgment and punishment and rightfully so he is the God who is holy he is the God who is just and what he can't allow is for anyone to do anything they like and rebel against him he can't allow that to continue and carry on so the plagues that God sent were very deliberate. Uh, but each one would have carried a clear meaning for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They would have understood the imagery and the symbolism of each plague and realized that God was challenging them and challenging the very basis of their belief system and showing himself to be more powerful than any of their gods. So let's just very briefly look at the religious scene in uh, in Egypt at the time so ancient Egypt it was polytheistic meaning there were many gods that they worshipped uh, very many gods actually that they worshipped most of them were kind of beneficent um, did you know they seemed okay they did them good or whatever uh, but they had to honor them otherwise they they would get into into trouble they had to keep on the right side of them. Pharaoh was also considered to be a god. In fact, he was understood to be the offspring of Ray, the sun god. Um, so he was a man who led the nation as king effectively, uh, but he was revered as a god. And uh, so he he was clothed in particular clothing, a, a, a snake on his, his headdress. Um, and the people would worship him. It was a male prerogative to undertake religious acts. So the women didn't really get involved in the religious act. It was the male uh, population who performed the religious acts and so forth. Bit sexist, but who wasn't in those days? (laughs) Um, And many of the gods were represented by animals or took on human form. So there, uh, you know, you can see in the hi- in, in Egyptian sort of hieroglyphics and all the um, the Egyptian stonework and so forth. Still today, those the depictions of animals and there's the, the sphinx, you know, the dog head and the, the, the lion kind of um, body and so forth, and all of uh, all of that was going on. So quite animistic in many ways, um, but certainly polytheistic, many many gods. And they were demonic in nature, so they weren't true. They were demonic. Uh, so they called upon them, and basically behind those gods were demons. Don't know how you feel about demons in these days. It's a challenge to us to think about that, I guess, in some ways because it's all very covered up and all the rest of it. But. If you go out of Britain and you go to other countries, you, I, I remember the first time I went to Senegal and uh, was out in the bush and how very, very evident the demonic background of what was happening was. Um, and other places that I've been, it, it is just so clear. And then you come back to this country and you think, hmm, it all seems very nice here and you know, and so forth. But actually, you don't go far before you realize that the same demons are still at work behind many things that happen in this country. It's just a bit more covered up and looks a bit nicer. So the magicians and priests could do signs and wonders using their demonic power. And, you know, we're told in the New Testament to watch out for demonic power and demons and that that there is a battle going on around us. And we're part of that battle as God's kingdom we stand against the kingdoms of the world, which are demonic in nature. So the demons kind of promulgate the lie and the deception that is there. So I want to go back very briefly to chapter 7, which uh, we kind of covered uh, to set the scene. Um, And it says there, the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, we'll see when we get to the plagues, the first five plagues, because there were 10 in all. Um, Pharaoh hardened his heart against God and said, no, I will not let your people go. And it states very clearly, Pharaoh hardened his heart. By the time we get to the second five plagues, it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And it's like God gives us freedom. We have the freedom of choice and we can choose to harden our hearts against him. But there comes a point where we are just in such rebellion that God says, right, I'm going to push you away now. I'm going to push you away. Your time has been to come close to me, but I'm going to push you away. And it doesn't mean to say that people can't repent still. But there comes a point where God is not saying, come to me, everyone come to me as you are. If there is such rebellion in the heart, then he says, right, I'm going to harden your heart. And pushes, pushes away. And that's what he did with Pharaoh. And it says, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. This is the first time this word has come up, divisions. And it's a war term, really. It's, it's an organization of the people into, warring, uh, into a warring mode, the divisions of the army and so now with egypt it's got to the point where god is saying i'm going to take my people out of egypt but actually we need to be on a war footing in a sense as we go forwards and you'll see in the months to come how israel turns onto a war footing and has to defeat certain nations and so forth and the egyptians will know that i am the lord when i stretch out my hand against egypt and bring the israelites out of it there's a phrase in there which is really interesting to me I have made you like God to Pharaoh it's a strange phrase for, for God to use and it, it's like there's Moses and God is saying to Moses I'm making you like God to Pharaoh and it's, it's, it's like God is putting things in simple terms for Pharaoh that he, he can understand because Pharaoh believes he is a God and he stands amongst the people as a God. And God is now saying, I'll make you like God so he can actually see you. He can actually see you and I'm going to give you power to do things. It's not what you'd expect, is it? Uh, was, was Moses a God? No, he wasn't. Was Moses God? No, he wasn't. And yet God's power rested on him and Pharaoh recognized, okay, this is, this, this is godly power. And through some, after some of the plagues, he, he says, whoa, you know, <laughs> the God of the Hebrews is powerful. Um, but it's interesting that there was a man standing on earth who was representing God. And actually, that passes on to us these days that we stand on earth and represent God in the earth. We are the ones who God chooses to use to work through It was the the nation of Israel and now he's widened it right open so that the Gentiles have joined in and now we can stand as Christians and represent God in the world today. And then Aaron was his prophet. So Moses would speak to Aaron, kind of quietly, and Aaron would give the word. Very interesting setup that God, God gave there. So, it's a bit like us. Moses and Aaron were not perfect. They stood there and they appeared as, or Moses appeared as a God, but he was not a perfect man. And it's just the same with us. And and Paul talks in 1 Corinthians about that we have treasures in jars of clay. That we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. None of us are, you know, without sin. And yet we have that treasure within that is the Holy Spirit that is God's life. And that's why we can represent God on earth. Okay, let's move on. And I'm going to read through Exodus 7, 6 to 13. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Here's the obedience. Okay, Obedience as opposed to rebellion. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. They were not young they're standing before Pharaoh the Lord said to Moses and Aaron when Pharaoh says to you perform a miracle then say to Aaron take your staff I I find that interesting because back at the burning bush it was Moses' staff that was thrown on the ground and turned into a snake and when he came back to the the Israelites his, his staff was used and now it's Aaron's staff well there's nothing special in the staff the miracle was from God So it wasn't a magic staff. It was just Aaron's walking stick and Moses' walking stick. That when they were thrown down, God did that miracle. And it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians did the same thing, by their secret arts. So the Egyptian, uh, Egyptian magicians are basically the priests um, and their secret arts. That's a distinct uh, contradiction to what God was doing. God was very open with what he was doing. This is my power. This is me work at work. Well, the secret arts, it's all cover-up. It's all, you know, no one quite knows where it's all coming from. It's... it's, it's um, It's that deception that's in there that is so prevalent and you see with demonic activity. Deception is always there. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So God is saying, no, no, you might be able to do certain things, but I'm more powerful I'm more powerful. That was a big sign to Pharaoh. The snakes were, they were revered by the Egyptians. They were, um, they, they had a, an incredible interest in snakes. So you'll see snake emblems all over the place in Egypt, even, even to this day, snake emblems all over the place. Uh, and uh, so the, the emblem there, the, 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 the picture of what's happening is very, very clear. God is greater than the Egyptian gods. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Now we're going to briefly run through the nine of the plagues today um, and we haven't got time to go into all of them in detail. Uh, So we'll look at at, at one or two in detail, but um, let's briefly run through them. But What I really want to do in briefly going through at this moment is just to show how God's power is um, coming against the Egyptian false gods. So the Egyptians, uh, with all their multiplicity of gods, um, the magician priests could replicate some of the signs, but they could never reverse any of them. Whereas God sent the plague and then stopped the plague. And then sent the next one and stopped it and so forth as time went on. But the Egyptians had no power to stop what was happening. So as we go through these, they'll, they'll kind of illustrate some of the main themes. So the first plague, the Nile, turned to blood. And it, it kind of relates to particularly three gods, Uh, that were gods associated with the Nile Osiris knew and happy and then we get the frogs that were sent a plague of frogs filled the whole of Egypt and again it was kind of related to one of the gods Heket who was a symbol of fertility and then we get dust which changes into gnats so Moses, um, Moses threw up this dust in the air and it changed into gnats and it just covered the whole place And again, a reference to the earth god Geb. And the magicians and priests, they they wouldn't touch any insect. That was one of the things that that was abhorrent to them. And here they are, covered in gnats. And then God does it again, flies. So same kind of thing happening. And then all the livestock gets killed. Uh, Many of the Egyptian gods were depicted as livestock animals. And again, you'll see that on, uh, on, in, in the hieroglyphics, in the, in, in, the, in the stonework that exists to this day uh, in, from ancient Egypt. And there were lots of sacred cows and all sorts of stuff for that. A bull was a symbol of fertility again. And various other gods, Apis, Hathor, Isis, um, were all related with, with livestock. So again, it's just underlining God is greater than your gods. And then, rather horribly, they got these boils uh, breaking out all over the Egyptians. They, the Egyptians looked to many god, uh, quite a number of gods for, for healing. Um, some of those were Ray, the sun god, Fath and Imhotep, and Sukhum, uh, Sukmet, I think it's pronounced. And then God sent hail. And again, they had many gods controlling the sky, lightning, wind, atmosphere, and so forth. And then God sent locusts attacking the gods of the field. Um, so there, were, there was Min, who was supposed to look after the crops. There was Isis, who looked after life. Nepri, who looked after the grain. Anubis, who looked after the fields. Senehem, who protected against pests. You can see, right wound into the whole social structure and the, 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 the belief system of the Egyptians there were all these gods everywhere. And they had to keep on the right side of them and do the right things. And then the last one that we're, we're concerned with today is darkness. And it's really an attack on amon re the sun god. And as I mentioned, Pharaoh was, was believed to be the, the incarnation of the, the, the son of Re um interesting three days of darkness i wonder what that reminds us of and throughout all of this there are just pointers which are pointing towards what jesus did for us on the cross in overcoming satan in overcoming every demon in overcoming the world in overcoming sin Uh, right through this this passage you'll see those pointers but it was very very clear that god was saying to the egyptians I am more powerful than any of your gods. So let's look at one or two in a little bit more detail. And I'll read through um, this one, which uh, Exodus 6, um, 14 to 24. And we're talking here about the Nile turning into blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. So Pharaoh, uh, go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. I guess he was going down for his his wash, his bathe in the river Nile. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. Really important phrase there. By this you will know that I am the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is the Lord Almighty. So he wants to break into Pharaoh's life and say, I am God. I'm more powerful than anyone and anything. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish of the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch it out over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood and stone. Moses and Aaron did it just as the Lord had commanded. There's the obedience. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts. I'm not quite sure how they did that because everything... (laughs) Everything was red by now, all the water, but they must have found, found, sort of, dug a hole and taken some water out of the ground and then changed it into a, a, a red color or whatever. Um, uh, so they did the same things by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take, even take uh, this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Now, Egypt was nothing without the Nile. The, Nile, the nation was founded on the Nile. That's why people gathered down, down the Nile and that's how the nation came into being. It was the lifeblood of the nation. The Egyptians actually worshipped the Nile. Uh, It provided water for drinking and for irrigation. So without that, quite a lot of Egypt is desert land. You need that water, both for drinking and also for irrigation to to produce the crops. And all down the Nile today, the, the very fertile ground around where it's irrigated from the Nile, um, and actually the, there's, there's big problems if any of the countries further up the Nile decide to dam it or do something or extract too much water or, or there have been problems in recent years um, about the Nile running low on water and, and, and the Egyptians kicking up a huge thing about it. It also provided fish for them. So food coming out of the Nile. It provided transport so they could put boats on and move up and down the Nile between the different cities. It provided a communication link between different places and different people. Um, it, provi- it, it, it governed the seasons and the calendar. So the Nile, when, when, uh, when it got less and when it got greater and, and in times of uh, different seasons of the year. So the, the Egyptian calendar was really set to... What the Nile was doing and it also gave access to to the world to trade through the Mediterranean so they could they could run the ships down um, through the Nile uh, down to the Delta and and then transport stuff anywhere they liked and and import stuff so the Nile has now been turned to blood it, it's quite interesting because later on in the Bible, in Revelation, at the, in the end times, one of the outpourings of wrath of God on the world will be that the water is turned into blood. One of the bowls of wrath that the angels will pour out. You see, that the, there is still judgment to come on the earth. There is still the plagues that, that will come across the earth because people rebel. And continue to rebel and will not turn to God. And there will come a time when all of these things will happen and the judgment of God will be meted out. And then Jesus will come and everything will change. Um, So let's look at another one the, the flies. So then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people, and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land i will make a distinction between my people and your people so here comes that theme of israel versus egypt god's chosen people representing his kingdom representing his authority in the world versus the very worldly egyptians and actually throughout the bible egypt is almost portrayed as the world um, or the world is portrayed as Egypt in, in times, and and people at times people go down to Egypt or go back to Egypt, and it, it's like one of the things that um, God challenges the the people with uh, when they're out in the desert um, after this, where they've escaped from from Egypt, is Do you want to go back to Egypt? And the people were saying, "Oh, we want to go back to Egypt. We had this, that, and the other there, and we had a, a well, they didn't have a comfortable life, but it was." they thought better than what they were getting just at the time. Uh, so there's that, that parallel between the world and Egypt, which still kind of stands right through the, the scripture. And then he says, this, uh, and then there's this, this whole thing of how God is being merciful to the Hebrews, because the Hebrews, were, they weren't following God either. They, they were dreadful, the, the things that they were getting up to. But God had chosen them and he was going to bless the world through them. So he was contracted. There was a covenant between him and them through Abraham that he would look after them. So they didn't. They weren't affected by the flies. And many of these plagues, they just were not affected by. God's mercy as against his judgment. And we stand in that place today of mercy, don't we? as we've turned to him, as we've surrendered our lives to him, God is merciful to us and will be merciful. On the day of judgment, we will stand before God, having done all the wrong things that we've done, and yet all of those things are forgiven and dealt with by the blood of Jesus. So we will stand, and Jesus' blood will cover our sin, and God will continue to be merciful, and we will be able to enter into that place called heaven and be with him eternally by what Jesus did. God shows his mercy, but his judgment is also there because he's a just judge. So for those who don't turn to him, they will know God's judgment. And he says, this sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. That's not what what Moses has said. So Pharaoh's kind of, he's bargaining here. But Moses said that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God will be detestable to the Egyptians because of the way they revered animals and all the rest of that. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, they will not stone us. We must take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. (laughs) Now pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. It's interesting, isn't it? Pharaoh is continuing to sin. The officials in in Egypt are continuing to sin and rebel against God. But God is prepared to let that leash out. Let that leash out. Let that leash out. Maybe they'll turn. Maybe they'll turn. But God knew that actually they wouldn't. But he was allowing them that grace. There comes a time... that stops so what about the hail where have we got to have i uh the lord said to moses get up early in the morning confront pharaoh and say to him this is what the lord the god of the hebrews says let my people go so that they may worship me Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Interesting, isn't it? Here's something that will really, really offend Pharaoh. God saying, I raised you up. You're only in the position you're in because I raised you up. I put you there. You're in charge of Egypt because I put you there. That's a challenge to us in these days sometimes when we see a government come in and they're thinking, oh my goodness, what's happening in this this, this nation? But it's God who puts kings in places. It's God who puts rulers in places. And we need to remember that. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out of the field and they will die Interesting God gives them the option isn't it he, he warns them what's going to happen he says bring your livestock in otherwise they will die and it says those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and livestock inside but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field then the Lord said to Moses stretch out your hand towards the sky so that hail will fall all over Egypt on the people and animals and everything growing in the fields of Egypt When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron, this time I have sinned. So he's recognizing he is standing against God. This time I have sinned. So he has regret. He said to them, the Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go and don't, you don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied when I've gone out of the city I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord the thunder will stop and there will be no more hail so you may know that the earth is the Lord's but I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord so we've got regret but not repentance we haven't got a turning towards God we've just got oh I've done wrong sorry but I'm not changing my heart the flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom the wheat and the spelt however were not destroyed because they ripened later then moses left pharaoh and went out of the city and he spread out his hands towards the lord the thunder and hail stopped the rain no longer poured down on the land when pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped he sinned again he and his officials hardened their hearts so pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not let the israelites go just as the Lord had said through Moses. So then we turn to the locusts. The Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So God is saying, He's not just speaking to the Egyptians here. He's also speaking to the Israelites. And there's a very different and a big difference in the way the Egyptians respond and the Israelites respond. But he's saying, I'm doing these things so that you may know that I am the Lord. And actually right through the history of Israel and even to today, the Jews look back to the time when they were released from Egypt and God rescued them. And they haven't forgotten that story. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. How long will you refuse to humble yourselves before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. He was looking for humility from Pharaoh. He never got it. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go so that they may worship their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said. But tell me who will be going? Moses answered, we will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters and with our flocks and herds because we are to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, the Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, uh, if I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. No. Have only the men go and worship the Lord. So he, 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 he was doing what the Egyptians would do, send the men, because it was the men who did the religious acts and so forth. and he didn't really understand the Jewish people, and he didn't understand God's call on them at all. But he was saying, the men can go. But you leave the women and children here. Then Moses and Aaron were driven out of Pharaoh's presence. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over Egypt, so the locusts swarm the land and devour everything growing in the fields, everything left by the hail. So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt. And the Lord made an east wind blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. They invaded all Egypt and settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. They covered all the ground until it was black. They devoured all that was left after the hail, everything growing in the fields and the fruit on the trees, Nothing green remained on tree or plant in all the land of Egypt. I do find that interesting because it doesn't mention anything about Goshen. And I think God let the locusts right across the whole land. That's, that's what the scripture tells us. But this was the, the last plague before the, the, the final one, when God would actually take the people of Israel out. So they didn't need the crops anymore because they were be going to be moving out. Interesting. I may be reading into that, but it doesn't mention that the land of Goshen was saved. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God. Isn't that interesting? He's now using that phrase, the Lord your God. And against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Moses then left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord changed the wind to a very strong west wind which caught up the locusts and carried them into the Red Sea. Not a locust were left anywhere in Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go. So after this, there comes one more plague which we won't cover today. One of the things that I find so interesting as you remember Moses and Aaron was stood before pharaoh moses was brought up in egypt he understand he understood the way egypt worked he understood pharaoh he understood pharaoh's palace he understood how the the officials and all all the rest works and yet it's interesting because he was afraid to speak because he said i don't speak eloquently i don't speak well I, i just wonder and maybe i'm reading stuff in here i'm not sure But Moses, he had a very low esteem. He he said to God, I can't go to speak to them. And yet God had said, I want you to go to speak to them. God had chosen him to go. Moses had low esteem. And that's why God gave him Aaron to work through. Moses was 40 years in Midian looking after sheep. And yet he was raised in Pharaoh's household and he was raised to a high degree. He was one of the princes. And he actually, the history books tell us that he went out and fought a great battle and won it. I don't know what he was like leading an army because he wasn't a good speaker. He had low esteem. And yet God chose him and said, I'm going to work through you. I'm going to bring all these plagues and I'm going to set my people free from the Egyptians who have persecuted you for hundreds of years and enslaved you and I'm going to take you to the promised land and you're going to lead them. And to me, it just shows, Moses was so imperfect and yet when God comes into a person's life and when God does the work, it doesn't matter how weak we are, God can use us. It doesn't matter how much sin we have committed. If we have turned to God and asked for his forgiveness and he has come into our lives and we welcome welcoming him in, and we repent and turn and go his way, there is no limit to what God can do through us. So you now see Moses standing before Pharaoh and Pharaoh is realizing he's on losing ground here. And we won't move on because that's for another day. But the important thing to me is that it doesn't matter how, how low our esteem is in ourselves, there is a different story when God comes in. And Moses could stand before Pharaoh as a god. Like God himself. And that's what God had said to him. And he could perform all of these things. And now, you know, years and years back, Joseph was more or less ruling over Egypt. And now it's turned full circle. Here's Moses standing there. And Egypt is beginning to crumble under the power that God has invested in him and the things that God is doing through him. Don't forget, no matter how low my self-esteem if I turn to God and allow him to do what he wants through me, there is no limit. And that's actually what he calls us to do, is surrender to him. We've, we've talked a lot about judgment here today. But that judgment for our sin and for us is lifted from us as we turn to God and we recognize Jesus' death on the cross. And as we walk with God through this time on earth, let alone as we get to heaven, when we're finished with this time on earth, we can be so fruitful, each one of us. So if you, like me, because I suffer f- and have suffered from this lot in my life of very low self-esteem, just think of Moses. Just think of what did, God did through that man. And understand that when God, when you walk with God on the mission that he has given you, when we do that, there is no limit to what we can do. And we've got a whole town out here, worldly people. But the call is the same. There is one God. So Jesus has dealt with our sin. And as we believe in him, we are rescued from God's wrath and his judgment. And we're called to be ambassadors at the interface between God's kingdom and the world—that's where we stand. We're called to be ambassadors. We stand in the interface between God's kingdom and haven't and this surrounding area. And in our weakness, God can show His strength. That's what I've got for you today. Um, it's a fascinating story. It's really amazing story, and so much that I find uh, you know I hadn't spotted before as I read through again. It's always the same with the Scripture, isn't it? But listen shall we shall we stand and and just pray, and i don 't know if there's anything that that you feel God has just spoken to you this morning um, maybe you you are one of those people with low esteem, and you can you can you can relate to Moses and saying, "God, you've told me to do this, but I just can't do it, or maybe you feel that there's that you know you 've just carried such a weight of sin on your shoulders and you feel unable to come into God's presence I I don't know you struggle through life let's just engage with God now let's just allow God to speak and, and just let him lift the burdens that we're carrying that we don't need to as we turn to him Lord I thank you that your message is a message of salvation that you save us from the wrongs that we have done And you save us from what the world, the pressures of the world. And you save us from death. And you have life eternal for us to live. As we recognize, Jesus, that you died on the cross and that you gave your life for us, we can receive that life of Jesus ourselves. Restored into relationship with the Father who loves us. And able to walk in this world reflecting your glory, Lord. And carrying out the commission that you have given us. The mission to see lost souls saved and disciples made. A work that only you can do, but you can do through us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, i just surrender to you afresh and say, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me, even though I don't think much of myself, to do the works that you have called me to do, to be the person that you want me to be, to go into this world and make disciples. Lord, to see your glory shine in this world. Amen.